0: Good morning. You may have noticed a little something different as you walked into this room out here, the multi-purpose room. It's just a normal Sunday's decoration for us around here. It begins today, our Vacation Bible School, and much has been said, much encouragement has been given, uh, and uh, I think a good theme has been selected, Wanted, Dead, Made Alive. You might have detected a little bit of a western theme, and in the spirit of that, I decided to wear cowboy boots today, so. I hope that you'll be here. We're going to have classes for all ages, from the very smallest to the very oldest, and we'll have those classes each evening, and we would look forward to you not only being here, but encouraging others to be a part of this as well. It'll continue through Wednesday night. Uh, There are special events that will be a part of this uh, outside of the Bible classroom, and so we uh, encourage you in every way. Also, want you to keep in mind that there is a seminar that is about six weeks away. Uh, David Sproul from uh, the Palm Beach Lakes Congregation in West Palm Beach, Florida, is going to be here. It's an Engaging Everyone for Eternity Congregational Seminar. And it is a church growth-oriented seminar. Uh, it is ways that we can improve in our service so as to be able to grow and so we look forward to uh, David, who does a fantastic job in so many different ways in ministry and that congregation, and we believe that we can benefit much from that. So this, on Friday and Saturday, is going to be something we benefit from, but keep in mind that Sunday is a friends and family day. So be encouraging them especially to be here on that Sunday, that's September the 10th. If you want to keep that seminar in your mind and put it on your calendar, September 8th through 10th. The lesson today and this evening all the way through Wednesday is going to center around that theme in some way. And I appreciate Jeremy and the songs that he has led that ties in directly with the theme. We're going to look this morning about the very need that's behind this being made alive through Christ. You know, there have been some very interesting stories about a rescue that have been made that we can read about and sometimes the intentions are honorable and sometimes they're not on November 28 2010 the man that you see on the screen I think that's with Rachel Ray as she interviewed him he was on his way to New York City for work he was in Harlem at the subway station he was waiting to catch the 803 but at 8 o'clock a man fainted and he fell onto the tracks Reportedly, witnesses say, without even thinking, Carlos Flores, even though the digital display said that train was coming in three minutes, he jumped down into the platform and heroically rescued the fainting man. The New York Daily News interviewed him and asked him how it was that he would do something so dangerous and yet so heroic. And Flores' answer was quite interesting. He said, I had to go to work. And if that train hit that man, I couldn't go. It's Sunday. I can't miss today. Today is time and a half. Well, maybe it is hearing that detail takes a little bit of the heartwarming out of that heartwarming story. And yet, despite the fact that there was a self-serving aspect to it, we cannot deny that he put himself in danger in order to rescue someone who would have certainly died had it not been for him. I'm happy to tell you that there are some stories out there that are genuinely more heartwarming from beginning to end. One that sticks in my mind is a story that happened up on Mount Everest. You're probably aware of the fact that many people die every year trying to reach the highest peak in the world, in Nepal. And there was a man in 2006 by the name of Lincoln Hall, in Lincoln Hall, and of course, there's so much money and so much preparation, and it takes so much time. You have to take your time to get up that high in the world. Lincoln Hall had just about completed his journey. He was 2,000 feet from the summit when he could not go on anymore. And the crew that was with him, the guides, they left him there. They left him there without a hat, without gloves, and without oxygen bottles. In fact, his crew the next day delivered a statement to the world about the death of Lincoln Hall. And it would have been fresh on the minds of people at that time because just a couple of weeks before, there was another hiker by the name of David Sharp. And David Sharp, he was a thousand feet from the summit and he died there. And witnesses report, I suppose they were reporting on themselves, that there were dozens of individuals who passed by David Sharp and did not stop in pursuit of their own Mount Everest glory. But Lincoln Hall did not die. Fortunately for him, a man by the name of Daniel Mazur happened to be on his way to pursue his Mount Everest glory. And he heard the appeal of Lincoln Hall that he was dying and he needed help. And instead of pursuing his own summit, Daniel Mazur took Lincoln Hall and put him on his back most of the time and walked the four hours back down to base camp. That is a heroic rescue. You know, there is a word in your Bible that's found five times. And four of the times it is used for the Holy Spirit, and one time it's used of Jesus and the four times that it's used of the Holy Spirit, Jesus refers to him as a helper. He is a helper for the apostles in revealing God's plan of salvation. And so you look in your Bible in John fourteen, sixteen, and John fourteen, twenty-six, John fifteen, twenty-six, and in John sixteen and verse seven, and in those four passages, Jesus calls him the helper. The only other time that that word is found in the New Testament, John is also the inspired penman, and he's writing an epistle, the epistle we were just looking at, 1 John. Right after chapter 1, verse 1 through 10, the very next thing that John writes is, My little children, I write these things unto you so that you may not sin, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father Christ Jesus the righteous. Now that word there is powerful. The word advocate means to fall down beside one who is a victim. And I can't help but to think about the Good Samaritan because as the word is used in this vein, it is of one who sits down beside a victim and tends to their need and then carries them away to get further help. When you think about this idea of an advocate as it's described of Jesus, it is one who ministers to the needs of other or it is one who represents one to someone else. And so what John is telling us is is that we have somebody who falls down next to us when we fall victim. And he helps us. He tends to our needs. How relevant is that? I suggest to you if I have it right, that just about every one of us here this morning came in and in one way or another we came in in need of rescue. We have need of help in some way. We need someone to come down beside us and to take care of us. Maybe what it is is we're facing an uncertain job situation. We may be facing the imminent threat of a merge or a downsizing or an imminent layoff. Or perhaps in some way our job circumstance is creating stress for us. Or maybe we find ourselves in a situation to where either it has happened or it's about to happen that we're going to be sitting on an examination table and we're going to be awaiting nervously the results of the blood tests that have been made to try to figure out if what's going on with us is relatively minor or if it's life-threatening. Or maybe we're facing the grim prospect... That our marriage is failing. Or that we're uh, threatened with the loss of a relationship with one of our children. Or maybe we find ourselves struggling with an addiction or some sinful habit that is costing us in every way that expense can be measured. And it may be that as we come in this morning, we may be thinking that there is no way, there's no one, there's no thing that can help us, that can come to our rescue. But John gives us good news. When we examine this beautiful promise, one of the greatest in the Bible, we see several things about this one who came to our rescue. I want to notice four things in this verse about the one who came to rescue us. And the first thing I want you to notice with me is that this verse speaks of a preparation. As John begins this verse, notice what he says. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now as we read that first long phrase, we ask ourselves, what are the these things? He says, I'm writing these things to you. Do you know what the these things are? The these things are the things that you just read as Jason read it to us a moment ago. That these things are the, the sins that are a part of all of our lives. As John writes there, he is writing about two different types of people. On the one hand, there are those who deny that they have a sin problem. And on the other, there are those who are fully aware of it. And those who deny the sin problem are those who are depending on themselves. And those who understand that they struggle with the problem of sin, they understand how much they need God. Listen to what he says. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so what John is doing here is pointing out that we need Him. We need to be prepared for the fact that we have an advocate and we have to call on Him because of the possibility that we're going to sin. You know, as we think about what John is talking about in context, what he's talking about is is a sin struggle. But it could be that what we're struggling with this morning is not a sin struggle at all. And yet the the fact of the matter is that even if it's not a sin struggle, we can allow sin to creep in and to really undermine our spiritual health. And so John says there's got to be some way for us to prepare ourselves when we come up against the struggles and the trials, be they a sin struggle or a trial of life that may cause us to sin. He says what I want you to know is, is that I have written these things. There's an emphasis in 1 John chapter 2 where John is telling us if we need rescuing, what we need to understand is that there is a lifeline. God has given us a way to, because the one who created us knows best the things that we struggle with. And so he is going to ride in such a way that he can help us to prevent the struggles that we face. You know, God, the one who knows all, sees those decisions. He knows the things that we do that help ourselves. But He also knows the things that we do that hurts ourselves. And so He says, these things I have written. You'll notice later in 1 John chapter 2, He says, there are these commandments that I have written unto you so that you may know. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. He also says, I have given you my word so that you may understand my love and you can come to know me even better. And then in 1 John chapter 2, verse 12-14, through 14, he says, I write these things so that I can contribute to your spiritual health. What God has done is given us a means, a lifeline, so that we can have preparation when the sin struggles come. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, has 176 verses, and all but three of those verses say something about the Word of God. And in all of that, what he is saying is is that we can walk in his way if we keep them with all of our heart and we walk according to his law. God is going to help us, prepare us. But then in verse 11, he says, These things, he says that uh, I have written these things to you so that you may not sin. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So the first line of defense, as I find myself struggling spiritually, is that there is a preparation. My little children, I write these things unto you so that you may not sin. And yet, second, we see that there is a possibility. There's a possibility. And the possibility is if any man sins. But I suggest to you that it's not a possibility. John has already established for us the fact that it's going to happen. You know, when we look at this, we may try to minimize that presence of that in our lives. But most of us are on the other end of things. We find ourselves frustrated. Why is it, after all of this time, that I still find myself spiritually struggling? Why am I not more mature Why have I not already overcome this? Why is it that I still find myself worrying about anything and everything? Why do I struggle to be honest and to tell the truth? Why is it that I go about feeling bitterness and resentment with my problems or with people that disappoint me? Why do I feel such fear and such doubt? You know, the Apostle Paul has laid that down for us and put us all in the same category. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 when he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I've struggled in the past and I continue to struggle. I come face to face all the time with the reality of my immaturity and my not being where I want to be. And it frustrates me. The Apostle Paul says that as much when he says that I don't do the very things that I need to do and I do the evil that I do not want. Romans chapter 7 and verse 19. And so this possibility is an inevitability. And so the Apostle Paul wants us to be forewarned that this is something that we deal with. And in doing so, he helps us to appreciate the need that we have of a solution to this problem. The Apostle John is walking us through the fact that that there is a rescue plan and he wants us to appreciate and to know it. And so the third thing that we see in this verse is that there is a provision. John says we have an advocate with the Father. The beauty is that as I struggle and I find myself stumbling where I should not be stumbling and I find myself slipping that I have one who will represent me to God, who will be my help. Can you imagine what it would be like if we were struggling and we did not have one who could represent us? You see, the Bible lays out the fact that God has a case against us because of sin. And when you see this word advocate, what we have is a judicial term. It's a legal term. Think in terms of him being a defense attorney on our behalf. And when it comes to representation, we realize that there are several different grades of representatives. There may be the public defendant who has very little experience and ability. All the way up to the legal eagles that everyone, if they could, would try to hire to get to work their case. But there has never been an advocate who is so capable as Jesus. And John really wants to drive that home for us. That that we have one who can stand in the presence of God. You see, when he comes, we have this advocate. He doesn't come to our side. He comes to the Father's side. And John has made it very clear about this case that God has against us. In John chapter 3 and verse 19, Jesus says that judgment has come upon the world because men loved the darkness rather than the light. And then in John chapter 5 verse 27 through 29 you have the Jesus saying that the Father has given him the right to exercise judgment and someday he is going to exercise it. He says marvel not at this for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life and they that have done evil under the resurrection of condemnation. And then in John chapter 16, verse 8-11, through you have Jesus saying that when the Spirit of God comes, He is going to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He's going to convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me. He'll convict the world of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And I will convict the world of judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. And even in 1 John, John tells us that the consequences of sin is judgment. So before we can appreciate the blessing of this verse, we realize the grave circumstance we find ourselves in that we are properly viewed for judgment. And yet we have an advocate. We have one that can go into the very presence of God and can represent us and what are his qualifications. His qualifications are that he has walked every step that we walked. That He has come into this world and He has exposed Himself to everything that we face. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. And so He can sit at the Father's right hand and He can advocate for us. How do we express this? How do we explain this in a way that we can appreciate? I know there's more eloquent ways and elegant ways to do that. But how about mayonnaise? You know, two of the main ingredients in mayonnaise are oil and vinegar. You may or may not know this, but they don't mix with one another. They're called immiscible. And so for those two to mix, there has to be an emulsifier. And lecithin is a protein in egg yolk. And what it does is that lecithin, it bonds the oil to the vinegar, and it binds the vinegar to the oil. And I don't know who figured that out, but if you like mayonnaise, I'm sure you're glad that somebody did. When you think about what Jesus is as an advocate, let's make the application. When we think about who Jesus is, He is one who can bridge the gap between us and God. When you look at us, we are finite, we are sinful, we struggle, we have problems. But you have God, on the other hand, who is perfect, He is infinite, He is spiritual. And so Jesus is the one who bridges the gap. He associates us with God, and He associates God with us. As John is laying out before us the plight to prepare ourselves through the Word for the possibility, the inevitability, that we're going to sin, he says we have a provision. We have an advocate. But then he drives it down even further when he tells us about the person. When we look in this passage, we see the person. He's already been identified for us as God's son. But I want you to think for a moment about how John qualifies him to be the one who can make us go from death to life. First of all, there is his name. His name is Jesus. In the Old Testament, it's Joshua. It means Jehovah saves. But did you know that Jesus was one of the most common names that People named their sons in first century Palestine. you know we, we have lists that are, are kept all the time of the most common names and when uh, 2023 comes around and you have the list it's interesting. Uh, I don't know how many we have of these off the top but here we have the names are Liam and Elijah and Noah and Oliver. The top four names of children being born this year. And by the way, the top four names of people living in America right now are James and John and Michael and Robert. So when we look at the name Jesus, there are a lot of little boys running around with the name Jesus. And while it was a name that honored God, it was also an ordinary name. And when we look at Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, the very first chapter of the New Testament, Jesus was also shown to us to demonstrate His humanity. In Matthew 1, 18-23, when the angel comes to Joseph, you're going to call His name Jesus. That associates Him. He shall save His people from their sins. He's human. But more than that, with that ordinary name, I'm reminded that I'm ordinary. But he can understand me because he was plain and ordinary. Isaiah 53 and verse 2. And so as I look at the person who represents me to God, I see his name. But I also see that we have his designation, his title. He is the Christ. He is the one who was appointed for our deliverance. And when we think about the audience of the Bible, those who first read its pages, they had been waiting for a Savior for centuries. And what John is doing here is designating that the one that we needed and we waited so long for, he has come. He is not only plain and ordinary, but he was the one handpicked by God. He was chosen by God in order to help us in the way that we need help. But then there's his description He is the righteous. And the thing about this is that He represents those who are less righteous than Himself. And He makes us righteous. In verse 29, He is going to say we know that He is righteous. And we know that everyone uh, that is born of Him is righteous just as He is righteous. And so the work that our Advocate does uh, on our behalf before the Father is that He brings us into the presence of God and makes us right through His sacrifice. But then there's His function. He is the propitiation of our sins. He is the satisfaction of the sin problem that we have. Nothing else will satisfy. Nothing before Him, nothing after Him will take the place. And you take all of this together, and you see who it is that represents us. The person that brings us back to life. We come to appreciate His humanity, His God-picked nature, His function and his description, He makes us righteous. But don't misunderstand. In this situation, God did not have to twist the arm, so to speak, of Jesus. And Jesus was not doing this apart from the Father's will. John will say in 1 John 4 and verse 10, here is Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. And so the Father desired for the Son to come. And what about the Son? He's described as one who looks down and sees us in spiritual danger. Only the danger that we're in is worse than if we're laying unconscious on a track. It's worse than if we're laying on a mountainside waiting to die. He saw us dead in our trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2 and verse 1, and he came to rescue us. But knowing ourselves as we do, maybe we come in and say that that sounds fine for everyone else but I believe that it's too big for me. John is making the point that this is possible because of who he is, not because of us with our inadequacies and our struggles as we stumble and fall. Maybe you came in this morning and you felt like that you would come out just the way you came in, with the weight on your shoulder about ready to crush you. But Jesus says this, Come to me, All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There was a woman who was laying in her hut, and she awakened to neighbors yelling, Fire, fire! In her thatched hut there was fire in the roof and in the windows, and smoke filled that little house. And so she ran out to safety but then she realized that her little boy Adu was inside. And so disregarding the danger to herself, she runs back in and she grabs the boy and Ado is fine but she burns her face and her hands in the process. Ado grows up to be strong and and uh, as he is in the village where they were, one day he was playing with some of his friends. And one of them made fun of his mother's face. He knew that his mother had a face that was different from the other boys' faces, but he really never asked anything beyond that. And with them making fun of his mother, he ran home so they wouldn't see him cry. And then he speaks to his mother finally and asks what had happened to her face. She pulls out a picture from the drawer in her room. A picture of herself before the fire. And when he sees this and understands, he says to her as he squeezes her tightly, you are beautiful, more beautiful than your picture. When he understood the price that she had paid for him, he looked at her differently. What John is telling us is that Jesus snatched us from the fire and the scars that we see are the result of his having rescued us from spiritual danger. And John wants us to appreciate that and to know that. To be prepared for the fact that sin looms on the horizon in the struggles of this life. And so look at the things that he has written. But then come face to face with the possibility and understand that sin is an enemy that you're not equal to by yourself. That you need the provision that God has made. An advocate who stands not in your presence alone but stands in the presence of God for you. The person who endured all of that so that we might be saved. How do you feel about Him as you see what He's done for you? To realize the danger that He has helped you escape from surely will respond to that grace in obedient faith. Jeremy's going to lead us in a song in just a moment. And in that song is an encouragement, a song of invitation we all often call that. It's not... My invitation, or the elders' invitation, or the church's invitation. It's heaven's invitation. At the very end of the Bible, Jesus says, The Spirit says, Come. Whoever is athirst, let him come and take of the water of life freely. The Lord invites those who have not yet become his children to take advantage of the sacrifice that Jesus made. Maybe you're ready to do that. Maybe you would like to do that in this service. That's what you can do, make it known in this song of invitation, that you want to be baptized to have your sins washed away. Or maybe as a child of God, you need to make correction in your life. Or maybe you would just like help in bearing the burden that you face. If you need to respond to the invitation, we would urge you to come right now as we stand and sing.